In this episode, do you know salespeople want more sales and no worries about your tech stack and how to unlock value with a digital? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, we're back with another episode, but before we get into our guest, if you want to support the show in any of our shows, do us a favor, leave us a review. It's very simple. It takes a couple of minutes. We got a great review by Patrick Pister from the United States. Great information about ONG Tech. I love hearing about the newest development in technology in the oil and gas industry. Our industry has always been on the forefront of technology related to heavy steel, but extremely risk adverse when it comes to new developments in the tech space. I agree. Thanks for putting out a show that combines both industry technology and high-tech digital technology in our industry. So if you want a big shout out like Patrick got, uh, real quick, just give me a review on iTunes and I will rattle you off on the air. And a big shout out to Flatour for sponsoring our show. They literally are the industry leader in industrial internet of things. If you think that's a buzzword, reach out to Flatour and talk to them. They'll show you what it's really about, how it affects actually your bottom line. Lucky enough to sit down here today with Austin Miller. How are you doing today, Austin? Doing well. And Austin, you work for a little company people may have heard of before. Salesforce. Salesforce. It's not salesforce.com anymore, just Salesforce. Just Salesforce. And so what's really cool about this is, you know, I know Salesforce back from the CRM days, but now Salesforce is a platform to be reckoned with. Can you want to talk a little bit about that journey from literally the early days? And before we turn the microphone, I was talking about how cool it was because y'all were one of the first SaaS providers back when everybody thought SaaS was scary to, to the platform y'all are today. Yeah, absolutely. So Salesforce does have an interesting journey. It started off as just an idea back in 99, maybe right before 99, is a simple of, hey, why, why can't business applications be delivered through a website and be as easy as Amazon.com? That was the whole premise of the company, is just put a software application in a web browser and abstract all of that complexity of a big capital project to come in, install software on servers and do all the maintenance, just maintain it through the web browser and update accordingly. So that was really the premise of how the software company started. The very first application was sales, sales cloud. It was just a customer relationship management tool. So CRM is kind of what we're known for. And it grew in organic ways. So when you have, when you sell something naturally, after you sell it, you have to go service it. So people call and now we have the biggest call centers in the world. We service the financial markets, the consumer good markets, retail, naturally salespeople want more sales. So we grew into the marketing space and we have some of the biggest marketing applications in the world. So some of those things that follow you around on the internet from website to website, some of that Salesforce stuff, as well as the ability to do social listening. So just take information from the public domain, add structure to it and create a sales lead and many other things. And then, you know, service also has a, a field service component to it. So we grew into the field service space of call it field data capture, extending that mobile device out there into the field and capture things. Originally, it was just sales things, but you know it's it's a lot more than that now. It's also in in the oil and gas world, it's inspections, it's field, field tickets, ticketing, yeah. field ticketing. It's it's a lot of that. It's really just expanding the collaboration atmosphere to all aspects of the business. So. Yeah, long story short, now now we cover all pretty much all aspects of the front office of the enterprise and some of the mid office. So we don't do 
heavy calculation things in the back office like ERP work. Although that world is starting to get great a bit as well. Yeah, but y'all have the ability with y'all's platform to actually work with a big ERP system, push data in it, pull data out of it, but you're flexible and nimble. You know, when you do an SAP or, you know, any type of ERP installation, especially at the enterprise level, it's an extremely long project, extremely large CapEx expenditure. Most of the time they don't hit their delivery dates, but Salesforce can actually come in and put another layer there that's extremely nimble, quick and, and customizable, which is different than configurable and you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. So customize is a is somewhat of a dirty word. I think a lot of people don't want to customize a solution because that means they create technical debt and now they're they've built themselves into a corner. Yep. Salesforce's approach, for one, we use this term enga- called engagement layer. So we can act as this workflow orchestration layer as well as a user interface across not only one system record but multiple systems record. So you know it's very common for you know, only a couple people to have the keys of the kingdom for an ERP or a supply chain management system. This helps socialize it across the enterprise and add structure to a somewhat siloed process. So just think of replacing that email and spreadsheet workflow with an enterprise level application and extend it across across uh, wherever you need to extend it, sales service, marketing, field service, you know, legal, whoever needs to be included in the workflow. The cool thing about that layer that you're talking about is the fact that instead of having a team of app dev guys in Malaysia somewhere writing code so you can make it work, you literally can train a user, right, to basically drag and drop and build workflows. Right, yeah. So, yeah, back to yeah, configure versus customize. I mean, I'm, I'm a prime example of that. My, my background, I, I started my career as an Army officer, went to the oil field, was a project manager in subsea projects in the oil field, ran some machine learning projects in the oil field. And I came into Salesforce really not doing any application development, any coding before. And for almost three years, I was a, a solution engineer for Salesforce. And what that amounted to was I'd go into a super major, I'd go into an up mid downstream account and do a business analysis, a very consultative engagement. What's your current state? What's your pain points? And I'd come back and I'd custom configure a solution on the Salesforce platform. How was I able to do that? It wasn't a bunch of code. It was click to configure, drag and drop screens together. And I mean, these are enterprise level applications. It's not something that's flimsy that breaks. It's it's just how Salesforce's competitive advantage has been in in the marketplace. Yeah. And I mean, y'all go head to head with Microsoft, Amazon Web Service, Google, right? And we joked about this earlier. I think one of the things that probably hurts you in oil and gas is actually your name, right? If you change it from Salesforce to Moneymaker, right? Or Deal Flow <laughs> or Day Sales Outstanding Eliminator, you know, people would be all over it. So, you know, audience, don't think of Salesforce, get rid of the sales, right? It, it is an architectural platform that is equal to any of the biggest and best that are out there. Now, what's cool about some of the stuff that y'all are doing? Well, on, on that point, just real quick, I mean, we don't play exactly in the same space as all of the, in in pieces and parts we do. But Salesforce, one thing that we don't really play in is we're not an infrastructure infrastructure as a service company. So we're typically not the the place that you put a big data lake, although we do have a a product called Heroku that does some of that. But typically we we are not the IaaS and we are not the back office software tool. We're heavy calculations. We're more of that front office engagement platform. So that immediately takes off the table. I mean, by the way, we're cloud-based, so we don't do things at the edge, right? So that's just being transparent. I think 
there's a lot of people that will pull in, pull in Salesforce and say, hey, can you run your predictive algorithms at the edge, not connected to the internet? And the answer is really no. We, we pick up those insights from the edge and we we can orchestrate them in the application layer. Yeah, but if somebody wants edge computing done, it doesn't mean that you can't work with them. What it means is that you'll you probably have a partner or a vendor that does that, and that's you'll right. Have the interface from there back to wherever it needs to go. That's right. So it's it's not uncommon for us to partner with a Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Google Cloud, or whoever else. So we really don't care what your technology stack is, and that that just goes to show of our integration mindset. We we play nicely with with wherever you need us to play, but you know we don't we're not just a sales tool to your point, which I think is where you're going with, yeah. with the next question. Yeah, it's exactly where I was going because things like we talked about this earlier, things like field ticketing. That sounds like a simple problem to solve, but to this day, right now, if you go out to Odessa right now, it's just still being on paper, right? And so field ticketing is something that is valuable. It's valuable because you decrease something called day sales outstanding, which is basically the lag time between when the invoice is turned and when you actually get paid. And as these, especially on the upstream side of the house, as capital efficiencies become more and more important, things like DSO is huge. And Salesforce is the natural fit to come in and handle it field ticketing. Because if you think about the old CRM model, you were inputting information into a tool that was in the cloud that needed to go somewhere else. Isn't that what field ticketing is? The same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with field ticketing being paper, it's not just DSO, it's also revenue leakage. So if I'm out at a job site to do one job and I'm working I'm working with my good friend Bob, who I've been doing business with for 15 years, and hey, can, I, can you just turn a wrench over here too? Hey, do you have an extra part on your truck? This is also needs to be looked at. That additional work doesn't get added on to the job and therefore it doesn't get invoiced. So scope creep. Nobody likes also, scope creep. There's also some scope creep and you know, this gives you the flexibility. There's always, you know, discretion involved in this industry because you don't want a nickel and dime, you know, on every single project, but it does allow you to give a finite control over scope creep because you're capturing information at the point of action. Yeah. And the, the thing that nobody talks about is the way, especially smaller service companies handle that problem is they increase their margins to cover that area that they don't, they don't see. Right. So if you implement something like this, the company can actually lower its price, but maintain the same margins because every little thing is accounted for. Yeah. I mean, Salesforce, right. Let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room. So Salesforce helps with customer relationship management. All right. So we're, we're going to own that term, that CRM term. It's our stock ticker symbol right you go on any website and we're the number one crm so i think the real question is what is crm doing talking to the oil and gas market well it's really that term customer and i'm going to pivot that term customer and i'm not going to just do it because it's convenient for me to do it's it, i'm doing it because that's what our customers are doing with it the customer is the entity that drives a business forward so a customer in the oil field, it can be a supplier, it can be a stakeholder, it can be an asset, it can be an employee. It's that entity that you need to collaborate around, that you need to collect data on, that you need to apply workflows to inside and outside of your company, right? So you're talking about what's the, what's the buzzword right now in upstream? It's operational efficiency. We help a lot with operational efficiency across the enterprise as well as some of the things you would expect with a more traditional customer, such as billing, field ticketing, work capture, technical data, technical service centers, marketing activities. So I think that's a really important point. If there's nothing else you get out of this podcast is just that 
the customer is the entity that drives the business forward. Yeah, I, I love how y'all look at customers different, right? That message that the customer is not just the transactional guy mm-hmm. sitting across the desk from you, but it's literally, it could be your own people. It could be the vendors that are serving your client, you know, because it's legit that every bit of that is actually the customer. Yeah, I mean, employee is a unique customer right now. And we're at a pivotal point in the oil field where I would say for the first time and maybe history, maybe certainly in the last hundred years, the oil oil companies, the big oil companies, haven't they're not the ones that everybody wants to work for so before before you know if you worked at exxon or chevron or someone around the world you were the star of the village you that was the best company they had the best benefits and you were the smartest person you know that anybody knew because you were an exxon engineer i think those those dynamics are changing for a number of reasons you know certainly there's pressure for renewables to enter the marketplace but i think more important than that even it's this new mindset that employees want purpose in their career they don't want just a job they want purpose Austin, you're singing my song. I mean, I've been talking about this for years. Everybody says I'm crazy. We have a public perception problem that we own, that we started, right? And only we can fix it. That public perception has gotten to the point now where young people don't want to come work in our industry. And when you have an industry, and I don't care if it's upstream, midstream, downstream of service, we're an industry of projects and engineering. What happens when our industry can't hire engineers and project managers? It's coming at us, right? So I love how you're approaching that because that's something that people don't want to talk about, but it's 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 real. It's a real issue. It's not going to go away. There's no secret island of pro oil and gas talent anywhere that we can go tap into. We have to actually stand up and talk about the truths about what we do. Talk about the good stuff we do. Talk about when we make mistakes and something bad happens, right? And And we need to own that as an industry. And I think we're starting to move that way. We're just not there yet. Yeah, I mean, we're not. We're certainly not poking a finger in oil and gases industry's eye. You know, this is a problem that every industry is struggling with, especially the manufacturing, automotive, and energy industry. You know, as that umbrella, there's an aging workforce. It's it's the great crew change that we've been talking about forever, but it's here. And with that, there's pressure from this new mindset. So, you know, when you start treating your employees and engaging them the same way you would a customer. It's a different culture. It's a different atmosphere. And a lot of what Salesforce helps with, it's not the technology. You know, it's that threefold thing that everybody, every consultant talks about, people, process, technology. We try to hit on all cylinders and we try to give you the mechanisms to engage your workforce in a more proactive, customer-centric way. So, you know, B2C, think of B2E, B2Employee, right? That's something that really is, it adds value to your bottom line because, happier employees are more productive. And what are we talking about? We're talking about productivity. Yeah, it's interesting. This is the tech show and you and I have a whole discussion around culture. I'm good with that. Because one of the things you're right, this new workforce, the old way of thinking is was basically delayed gratification. I go work for Exxon for 30 years. I hate my job, but then I get to enjoy myself when I retire. And this new workforce and myself, actually, I'm not the new new workforce. I'm the older guy. I don't want to live my life that way. I want to enjoy life now. I won't ever retire, right? I may slow down, which affects things like your investment portfolio, right? Things that are tax deferred. If you go work till you die, all of a sudden are an advantage. But also the way the oil and gas industry needs to retain talent is changing. The old days of we're a big company, we have a pension. And so you have 
safety here are just gone. Your only safety now as an employer, not just in oil and gas, but in any industry, is your ability to get another job or have another revenue stream. But if the oil and gas industry wants to retain the people, which they really need to work hard on that, and there's some companies doing a good job on that, things like collaboration is important so people know what's going on, they feel like they're playing a part, and also gives them kind of a roadmap to what the futures could bring. You know, that those days of being stuck in a cube and it just doing your job and then going home, that, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah, so since, I mean, since this is a technology, we'll talk a lot, <laughs> podcast, we'll talk about technology a little bit, right? How does Salesforce physically help improve employee morale? Well, it's a couple things. So we talked about the way the platform itself can apply technology. So if someone can spin up a spreadsheet and put some calculations in there, they can build a Salesforce application. And so we're talking about upskilling. You know, we're talking about working with digital tools that are forever being innovated innovated on because Salesforce does three major releases a year and you're always on the latest and greatest technology stack with Salesforce. So you invest 10 years ago, you're still on the latest and greatest technology stack because of that SaaS and past model, right? You're delivering it over the internet. We didn't install anything. It's just like the iOS application. Everyone in the world can download the latest and greatest one. And it didn't break your home screen and all the apps you downloaded and all the configurations you've made. Same concept. So I think that's that's one one big thing is companies are struggling with, hey, if I if I don't use my employees in the traditional way they're being used, I have to lay them off. Not necessarily. There's a lot of value they can add by digitally retraining them. So that's that's definitely one piece there. Yeah, it's interesting when you think of technology. I never think of technology as, as a way to help make employees happier. But if you remove some of the obstacles in their day-to-day, it actually does add to their happiness. One of the best things I ever did is I picked up somebody to, to answer my emails, right? So, you know, 75% of my emails I get every day are the same 10 questions. But once I start having somebody else answer those for me, it opened up my day and I'm like happy now. I'm not stuck in email jail anymore. Something that simple can make a difference in the way people feel at work. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just, it also breeds a, a culture of innovation because now people aren't limited to the systems that you've tied them to. They're only limited by their own imagination. And so whether you're talking about, you know, a new way of doing, you know, a Six Sigma type initiative in a plant, or you're talking about, uh, a new way to collaborate with a supplier or whatever, right? JV partnerships. I mean, there's there's so many different ways that, you know, you allow people to work the way that's most natural for them to work rather than tie them to a specific system and a process that was maybe purpose built for something that's not a perfect fit. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. So it's literally, you have the platform that helps connect all the stakeholders, right? around whatever that that thing is and whether it's a pipeline construction project whether it's upstream production whether it's ethylene cracker coming online and, and, and producing ethylene the ability to connect all those different stakeholders from a cultural point of view from a work performance point of view and from a happiness point of view they're all it's all related right and and what salesforce is literally is that platform to connect all that stuff yeah i mean i think it's it's helpful to get specific on a couple things let's go deep right? let's pick something let's go deep so like let's chain, just maybe. take Let's just take upstream, for example. So upstream doesn't have customers. You know, they don't have, they sell in a commodities market. There's no traditional customer. So what what the heck would I need a CRM for? Well, again, the customers could be a supplier, right? So let's take supplier for a second. When the downturn happened, there was a lot of broken supplier agreements. People were cutting their supply chain, undercutting each other. And, you know, you're always going back and asking for a, a rate increase, decrease, 
it's very transactional in nature. So what we're seeing a lot of companies do is say, hey, we don't want to do that again. I'm talking about the operators here. We don't want to do that again. We should just rationalize our supply chain, our, our key suppliers, preferred suppliers from call it 8,000 to 4,000 and go deeper, longer, stronger with those. And once you start treating your supplier, the people that you're buying products and services from as a customer, the whole dynamic changes and you start doing things like, hey, here is a, a collaborative medium. We have a number of them, call it a portal, call it a, a workspace, like, like a Slack type environment for us to work structured and unstructured against these projects. So an upstream company might have 30 to 50 suppliers that they're trying to collaborate with simultaneously on a, on a drilling and completions project. How do you proactively push those communications to a self-service portal and just expose, here's my demand forecast. We've already have the pre-negotiated contract. It's preferential in nature, of course, because we're sharing additional information. You don't have to hold additional inventory, Mr. Pipe Company. And why don't you just, whenever we're running low, why don't you proactively bring us more Right. And we've already worked out all the all the details. And if we have a quality incident, if we have a safety incident, or if there's a procedure, here's the medium and here's the application, and here's our SOPs around that as well. Right. So it's just there's been a lot of fighting over the supply chain. Give me my piece, you take your piece. We're talking about growing the whole supply chain, growing the whole pie because you're taking inefficiencies out of the system. Yeah. And the cool thing about that is if you're if I'm the supplier you're also making my life easier, right? I don't have to warehouse extra stuff. I don't have to guess what you may do next year, right? And so I love those type of partnerships. I've seen it a lot in this industry where the operator doesn't have a vendor, they have a partner to the point that sometimes the contracts are written where the profit margin is how, what it goes by, not the total cost, like they agree upon a, a, a percentage of profit. That is so open and transparent. And I promise you 10 years ago, that did not happen. I think it's cool that Salesforce is playing a part in, in enabling all of that. So let me ask you a question. So, you know, one of the things when I think of things like global supply chain is the fact that you have different requirements in different parts of the world, whether it's local content or different import and export rules and regulations, all that stuff gets starts getting complex and you have then you layer different languages on there. That's the prime for a technology solution. Is that ability to come in and build flexible workflows is that something that is is native in what salesforce is doing yeah we, so we do that in the supply chain we do that around erps we work with over two hundred thousand or so don't quote me on the exact number <laughs> enterprise level companies around the globe so we are truly a global company and you know out of the box with salesforce we are multilingual and we have somewhere of 40 the ballpark of 40 supported languages outside the box, but I didn't know there was 40 languages on the planet. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a couple, couple thousand. I don't know. There's yeah. a lot, right? So yes, we, we add that final layer. If you just talk about localization, right? How do you have a global instance of an ERP, you know, across a multinational company that might have 20 different lines of business in it? You need to, you can go maybe 70, 80% of the way and find a common data model but eventually you're, you're going to need to go down to the last the last mile, right? The actual tool, the actual workflow, the actual system, then that's that's what we talk about when we talk about an engagement system, right? We don't we don't do a lot of the things that the back office does. We're never going to be your general ledger, but we will enable good inputs into your general ledger, right? Whether it's a field ticket, 
whether it's uh, maybe a supply chain transaction, a, a bill, an invoice, whatever. Yeah. And so one of the things you and I talked about before we turned the microphones on is there seems to be a transition, especially with the majors and the national oil companies out there, where they're looking at renewables in a different way, right? So, you know, 10 years ago when you know, the majors were talking about renewables. Quite honestly, it was a, a PR stunt. Now they're looking if they can make money at it, right? And it's real and it's legit. Actually, you don't know this, but one of our future podcasts is Oil and Gas. We can't, can't come up with the title. It's either renewables or Oil and Gas Clean Energy because there's such a big demand for people that work in this industry to understand how those two fit together. And Salesforce is, is just a natural, almost transitioning tool as companies look to do get into different lines of business because it's so quick and nimble. Yeah, I mean Salesforce we're we're a San Francisco based company, right? We have we have very strong opinions around the renewables market and you know, we like to play an active role in it. But I would say more fundamentally than any politics about this, the actual cultural aspect of Salesforce is we're all about trust and transparency. So there's an element of look, the oil and gas companies are investing more than probably any government entity in the world when solving this renewables problem and solving the energy transition problem. So we want to give voice to that. We want to help, for one, allow them to be become more trusted than they are because, you know, personally, I think there's an unfair shake going on. You know, company like Exxon, Shell, BP, you know, their budgets for R&D and around, around renewables and the actual things they're doing in renewables is amazing. People need to know about it. So that's that's one thing is just kind of the cultural and giving a voice to it. And we help we help people do that with a lot of our marketing tools, with a lot of our you know platform tools that just come come as part of our ecosystem. I think the second piece is really how do you change a business while you're flying the airplane, right? To use that analogy. And you know, these these businesses are committed to, you know, it's very capital intensive. There's a lot of infrastructure there. How do you pivot in an agile way when you're a global business that's that complex? And so, you know, I think the answer is what we've been kind of skirting around. It's, you know, having a flexible platform, a flexible technology stack that's modular in nature and allows you to acquire a company, pull them into your ecosystem, maybe start a new business. So when I came to Salesforce roughly three years ago, we were at 20,000 people. We're at 43,000 now. Jeez, that's good growth. And I can tell you, you know, there's a bunch of entrepreneurs in Salesforce. Like every time I turn around, there's a new product, service, person that's, you know, started a business within the company. And that's the that's why we've grown so fast and so organically is because it's just that mindset of just solve the problem, right? Whatever the problem is, go find a problem and solve it. Have you uh, been to Dreamforce? I have spoken to Dreamforce many times. So yeah, if you don't know what Dreamforce is, it's it's somewhat of a cult gathering. It's an incredible but, experience. I don't care what you yeah, do for a living. You got to go at least once in your life. It is an incredible experience. I think we had about 180,000 people in San Francisco last year. So that's our, that's our annual technology conference. Yeah. People, you got to go. Yeah. You just, I don't care what, you know, make your boss pay for it, pay for all your pocket. You have to go. And it's actually, was it last year where they were, they had cruise boats in for hotel rooms? Like they like filled up all the freaking hotels in San Francisco. I, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. I mean, it was just a crazy, but great time, great learning experience, by the way, unlike anything you've ever been to, you learn 
everything. It's all cool. It's fun. Nobody tries to sell you anything, which speaking of that, that's one of the things I actually love about Salesforce. I've actually used Salesforce in the past with, with Modal Point. And my first engagement with you as a company, nobody tried to sell me anything, right? They wanted to understand my problem. They wanted to understand what I was trying to accomplish. And they went really deep. And it was a while before somebody started talking about dollars. I love that. I love the fact that it was, it was you know, two phone calls before we even started talking about price. It was just a great experience to me. And is that still part of the culture here? Yeah. So we, we're still a SaaS company. So we have products that you can purchase, but that's not, that's not our model. And I think this is true for, you know, I would like to think we're unique, but I think this is the way that business is done in 2019. No. <laughs> right? It's a lot it of is, uh, still trying to make you buy stuff you don't need. It's yeah. a consultative engagement, right? Because of the types of things we're asking of our customers, or I guess we're trying to understand how we can help our customers, we're talking about enterprise level discovery across the technology stack, you know, across the business. And so we have to understand, we have to do our, our due diligence and do, you know, a true business analysis in order to give you the right thing, right? So that's the ethical thing to do. And it's also the most valuable thing to do. So we're a much better partner than we are a vendor. And I'm sure you'll hear that from a lot of people, but it's, it's certainly true, right? You, when people trust us inside their company to, you know, expose some of the things maybe they're not so happy about then we can really add true value. Man, what a great way to end the show because we need to get out of here. It's time for product review. So if you have a tech product you want me to review, just reach out to me. Please, people, no big steel, no gen sets, no fire suppression systems. I'm talking about cool, geeky, gadgety stuff. And today we're actually reviewing the mini spy cam made by Gyro. They sent this to me. Awesome. You ever seen one of these things? No. Look how tiny it is. That's a battery with an SD card. It has night vision. It has audio. Now, you know me on the tech show. I always tell the truth about products. This thing is really cool. The interface didn't work at all. So I really, unless they upgrade the interface, I really can't recommend this product. But as a, as a dumb camera, because I wasn't able to actually run the app, it actually took some pretty good video. I used this, Austin, to check to make sure my son was brushing his teeth. That was my test case of this. And I captured video. And if you want to know, yes, my son really did brush his teeth. So it needs a little bit of work. I can't really recommend it right now. It took good video, good low light video, captured audio. But without the interface, it's just kind of a dumb camera. So, you know, hopefully, JL, y'all uh, upgrade that upgrade the interface a little bit. If y'all do, send me another one and if um, I'll review that one as well. Then Street Team, you'll hear about it at the end of the show. We're still taking volunteers for our Street Team. We ask for an hour of work a week. In return, you get cool swag. You get to be part of our press team if we're in your geographic area and there's other stuff that's coming. And then one big shout out to BCD Travel. They're our official travel sponsor for this show and all of the OGGN shows. They make sure my people get where they need to go in the world and back safely. And then we talked about Futur earlier. If you want to win a Futur Port Authority Cyber Backpack, and it's really cool. We give away one a week. Go to the show notes, click on the link, and register. Basically, it's getflutour.com forward slash podcast. But just remember, Flutour is the artificial intelligence solution for industrial IoT in the oil and gas industry. And then while you're online, go ahead and go to the website, oilandgastechpodcast.com. Go ahead and give us your email address. We will not spam you. We use that to let you know the cool stuff we're doing. And then might as well join the LinkedIn group. You know what's cool, Austin? Speaking of marketing, when it was just me, running our marketing department, our LinkedIn page had 37 subscribers. My marketing team's got it up to over 12,000. That's incredible. Wow. No, that's insane, isn't it? So big shout out to Tim for making that sort of stuff happen. Austin, we need to get out of here. If people wanted to learn more about Salesforce, where should they go? You can go to the website, obviously reach out to us. We're pretty proactive. If you if you need to find us, we can find you too. So yeah. right. now, they actually really can. Be careful that I'm joking. I mean, if people want to find out more about you personally, I'm guessing LinkedIn? LinkedIn's good. Yeah, we'll put links to 
both those in the show notes, people. So if you're listening to this on mobile, swipe up or left, depending on your Android or iOS, and go to the show notes. You can click on everything. Austin, this has been awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are events on deck. Hey, guys. We have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon from 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilly, Tamora Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 1130 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, Are Your PMs Preventing or Causing Failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a Disruptive Energy Workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.